This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 104. And the quote of the day is from Gary Vaynerchuk, who said, Give more than you take. That's how you win. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And this session is brought to you by Boso Bamboo Drumsticks, the world's first full line of bamboo drumsticks. Check them out at bosodrumsticks.com and use the promo code PODCAST and save yourself 15% off of your entire order. This session is also brought to you by Drum Magazine. And listen, drummers, if you want to play better, be sure that you're checking out Drum Magazine every month. They don't have just these cliche Q&As. They have in-depth profiles, gear reviews, and some of the best lessons you'll find anywhere. And they recently released 43 shuffles that every drummer should know. Do you know the 43 shuffles? Because I surely didn't. Check them out and subscribe today at drummagazine.com. The interview that I have today is pretty cool. It's Claude Coleman from Ween, and the thing that is different about this interview, we talk, we don't talk specifically um, about you know drumming technique and practicing and all that stuff. We talk a lot about the music business and about how he um, became part of Ween and played with them up until 2012, until they disbanded. Also, a crazy freak accident that happened to him uh, that required him to uh, pretty much relearn how to how to play the drums, and it's a really inspiring story. So I'm absolutely honored to have Claude on the show. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Let's get right into this interview. Claude Coleman. Claude, what's happening, man? Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. What's happening? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored. Honored to do it. Great to talk to you. Yeah, it's 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 definitely great to have you. And we've been, you and I have been talking back and forth for a while. And we got connected to a mutual friend, which t- ends up happening a lot with the, with the podcast. But uh, glad that we that we got this happening. Um, the one thing I really like to do is I like to get the backstory so that I know, you know, so that the listeners know where people are coming from. So tell the, the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, well, uh, I'm a drummer primarily. Uh, I play other instruments as well. I play guitar, uh, bass, keys, sing a song rather. Uh, but I've been playing drums since about the age of nine. Uh, and I'm sort of mostly known for playing group wing. I've played with a lot of other uh, artists uh, around, uh, you know, nationally, around the area, New York, uh, around that area, New Jersey, Philly, and stuff like that. For the most part, uh, what's brought me to you, I believe, uh, you're familiar with my work uh, with Ween, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of uh, work spread out with a lot of different, a lot of different people, a lot of different styles of music, and a lot of music. I do, <laughs> I do a lot of stuff. So now you had mentioned that you started playing at nine. So was that a was that a self taught thing, or did you go the lessons route, or what was your what was your path? <laughs> uh, it's a story my mother likes to tell, uh, like almost every uh, holiday, which is uh, we can we can that. call her if you want and ask her if she wants to. T- <laughs> She'd love to talk about it. Believe me, yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, yeah, the story is uh, I told her uh, if, if uh, she couldn't give me a drum set for Christmas, that I, I didn't want anything at all. And so it worked, and I got the drum kit. I think my uh, father got it from a pawn shop. Uh, it was blue. <laughs> I don't remember the maker model, but I kept it in my basement uh, as a uh, young. Uh, black child in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and, and started playing to all my Kiss records in the basement. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kiss records, and uh, I remember some soundtrack records, like Grease, I played to a lot. Uh, my father was into some cool music, though. He, uh, he had some jazz, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I got mostly into, uh, yeah, like rock, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, like Santana, Rush, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So now, were you? Um, you're playing along with all these records, and but were you were you learning any of the rudimental side of things, or did did that was that something that that came along later, or never came along, or? Oh uh, well, yeah. So uh, I I just kind of messed around as a toddler uh, through school. In, in, in high school, I got uh, pretty serious with it. I was like pretty much already like musical activity in school: concert band, jazz band, orchestra, whatever, symphony. I can really 
great teachers there that got me some outside work uh, in pit band doing musicals with these uh, adults, which was really awesome. We played like The Wiz, uh, King and I, uh, Dames at Sea. <coughs> Excuse me. And that was a great experience. Uh, so, yeah, when I was in high school, I was uh, fortunate enough to be in, in such a great school for the arts and, and the creative arts that they had like a really robust sort of program going and I was doing a lot of stuff and then I was doing that stuff in school and then I started jamming a lot with my friends outside of school. We had like a couple cover bands going, playing all the like popular music at the time, uh, mid, uh, late eighties, uh, police, psychedelic furs, squeeze, cult, (laughs) (laughs) all that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, did that through high school and pretty much at the end of high school, I uh, pretty much made the decision I was going to, you know, try it and give a, a full-time professional go. And uh, incidentally, I, I turned down a scholarship to run uh, hurdles. So I was like the state's fastest hurdler. Oh, really? My coach, yeah, my coach had like Olympic dreams in his eyes, and like I completely bummed him out when I told him I was going <laughs> to go to school music. <laughs> By that, by that point, I was listening to Hendrix and all this other stuff, and he was just not going to see the pain in his eyes. I don't think he's ever <laughs> lived it down to this day. Man, and I think. <laughs> yeah, I was like, a, I was like a, you know, I was an Olympic hopeful, and I, yeah, I was the state's fastest, and I belonged to the, uh, the relay team, the state, the hurdle relay team was the state's fastest too. So we just sort of owned the hurdles, but uh, yeah, I went to school. I went to decide to go to school for that. Uh, after high school, I went to, um, I did a year at Kane College, which is now Kane University, mm-hmm. and then I ended up at Mason Grove School of the Arts at Rutgers University in the jazz program there. So and, uh, I want to backtrack. I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I got a question because I know I played sports uh, in high school, and so I understand, mm-hmm. and I was not any those I wasn't anything hopeful so but but I did play and but I, I I know that the the level of dedication that is needed to play and for you um someone who was an Olympic hopeful you know to to play at that level takes a lot of dedication takes a lot of practice um and then at the same time you're also playing drums and I'm sure extremely dedicated to that too. So was it for you, was it a matter of splitting the time or were you just more focused on playing drums and the, and the, the athlete athletic stuff just sort of came naturally? Yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting. They, they both sort of trade over into each other as far as the level of, uh, sort of discipline and dedication and motivation to be dedicated and on all that. And, uh, I just sort of split the time and, I really was obsessing on sort of both levels. Like uh, when I started playing drums in high school, I was sort of dividing my time between my track. I was doing a lot of tennis as well, and then like just in the basement, I was playing to like police records, which is like for hours, it's like six hours a day like, through the summer. You know, just all I was doing, and just splitting like my time up through the week. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, and I really did sort of apply that sort of thing, which sort of came naturally, which, which was great. But yeah, I was I was in the basement just day after day after day, just playing drums. Didn't do anything, and I'd come out a few days a week and do something over the weekend. It's crazy because you know, like you mentioned, they're you're you're basically using the same the same things in terms of the motivation, the, the, the practice regimen, the being dedicated, being focused and all of that. So I wonder if, you know, thinking, thinking back, do you think that one helped the other? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it was totally mutually uh, beneficial. And, hmm, and that's for that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it, they're sort of one and the same. I mean, <clears throat> there's an artistry to uh, athletics and, uh, competing and, uh, you know, working with a team and, and working with a group of musicians. It's mm-hmm. all sort of the same uh, dynamic, you know? I actually just uh, watched... Have you seen Kobe Bryant's Muse? It's a uh, yeah. it's a Showtime uh, documentary. Have you seen that? What's it called? Uh, Kobe it's, Bryant. It's called Muse. Kobe Bryant's Muse. Yeah. 
it's uh it's really and I always had a lot of respect for him as an athlete but man I after I watched that it was kind of, and it made me it actually made me like really pumped up to want to go practice and and you know to even to, to just be the best because of of why after watching it, it was, it's just amazing his work ethic and the thing you know how much time he really put into it that you don't see you know all the off off the court time it was just it, it's an amazing documentary yeah absolutely I mean yeah, if you're, for anyone in, in music school or, uh, you know, who, who's had that experience, you know, the movie Whiplash that came out, I mean, you know, I had that, you know, very similar experiences in terms of just, uh, yeah, just, you know, people shedding like 12, 13 hours a day, just, <laughs> just, just grimacing all the time, <laughs> right. not even like enjoying life, <laughs> just this pure uh, study, pure practice hear that focus on that and just yeah just not even eating <laughs> so what'd you but, think uh, of the whiplash movie <laughs> i haven't had the chance to see it you know uh, i had a buddy who was a drummer and he saw it and he just freaked out about it because he went to a school here in north carolina for music he actually graduated i didn't fully graduate i uh dropped out after about two years and went to a life of rock <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, which is, you know, other stories. <laughs> well, I, I want to get into that story a little bit because, um, you know, you were talking about, we had talked off air a little bit and you talked in the beginning about the, the formation of Ween. And so when did when did that come about and what led up to the formation of that? Okay, uh, so uh, around that time out of uh, my mid-college uh, years, uh, I was playing in a band called Skunk and we were like a sort of prod pop rock band and uh we uh was signed to twin tone records uh our producer was andrew weiss who uh is a wing producer now known as wing's producer but he was a bass player for ron's band and he was producing and, and releasing all the early wing tapes all the cassette tapes mm-hmm. on his grown label so being andrew was our producer uh we all sort of knew each other mutually became sort of known as friends. We did, I think, a few gigs, Skunk and, and Wing together. And then uh, when Skunk was in the process of getting a record deal with Pinzone, uh, the, the story is uh, we played a gig in our uh, bass player's mother's house because he was still like 18 or 19. We did the showcase in front of an A&R guy who flew out just for the showcase. It was just us and the A&R guy in the basement. Well, we, we had uh, Wing open up for us. And uh, so we and us <laughs> played to our one A and I guy who was going to sign us anyway, but yeah, it was sort of like this sort of formality. I guess he wanted to see it and hear it live and stuff. Right. A great guy, Dave Ayers. You know, really talented, creative, creative guy uh, in, in that business for sure. Um, but uh, so we played, and he pretty much signed them instantly, pretty much on the spot. And that's how Ween sort of began their whole career was sort of through that. And then uh, I did a few records with the rock band Skunk. Uh, we did uh, a bunch of touring. Uh, we toured with the Babes in Toyland, who were label mates of ours. Uh, and uh, that broke up. found myself sort of wandering aimlessly and hanging out a lot with those guys. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, as they were making their second record, uh, The Pod. In fact, I was hanging in The Pod uh, doing, you know, sort of illicit, uh, illicit uh, substances and, and enjoying myself and being wandering 20-something-year-old or whatever. Right. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> during that time, uh, they were making on the, the making their second record, which is put out by a different label, and by a guy named uh, Kramer. And it was Kramer's idea, who was a bass player, it was Kramer's idea to uh, get those guys to form a group uh, with their thing because up until that time they were just the two of them I don't know if you've ever seen early footage or photos of them there's just the two of them and they played through a pre-recorded uh, rhythm section mm-hmm. uh, at first it was on cassette like Mickey would just you know turn around and he'd press play and then they'd start to play the song and Mickey would play the drums and bass and all the other stuff on it and that was sort of the stick and Kramer's like oh, this, you know, that's all great good and fine and he does a band you know the songs are great it's, you know it's Rocky's out Right. So I happen to be the guy sort of on the couch, sort of wandering aimlessly with <laughs> the guy on the couch, apparently, <laughs> who happened to play drums, and uh, I just sort of fell, in, fell into it. 
and that's sort of how I began playing with him. And then I just, you know, pretty much played with him, you know, pretty much ever since. They did a record after that, Chocolate G's, which is just the two of them. Uh, and they toured that record, I believe, with the Foo Fighters. They opened up. Uh, and then after that, the live thing pretty much came a uh, standard, you know, full band thing. And I pretty much was playing since then. So now you were you a a member of the band or were you just a hired gun? <laughs> uh, technically, I was a hired gun. Yes, I would I would be uh, referred to as an independent contractor. I got you. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I wasn't sure how you know because a lot of times um, you know guys will join bands and and mm-hmm. sometimes they're a member you know they're part of the band or like you said as a as an independent contractor or, or something like that so it's always interesting to me to hear the the dynamic of how that works yeah so that's an absolutely interesting thing to ask and i try to talk about it a lot because they're you know they're two very distinctly separate things like my first group <laughs> i had that experience of being a band member and having my name inked on the contracts and having this be about me. And I wrote for that group, you know, music for it. Uh, not that I didn't do that with me, but I mean, the relationship was just different. So, you know, it's really a different career. It's not like, uh, you know, it's worse or, or better. It's just really a different thing. Apples and that's oranges, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, that is a, an important thing to recognize, you know, because it's a, yeah, it's, it's a different way to, to earn and, and do your livelihood, you know, right. it's a little more of a hustle. <laughs> sure. So can, let's, for the listeners, I want to really, you know, expand on that a little bit just so they understand exactly what we're talking about, the difference between someone who's a band member and who is someone who is a independent contractor. Hmm. Want me to expand on it? What's that? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you want me to expand on it? Is that what you said? Yeah. So, I mean, if people are saying, I don't get it, what do you mean if I'm a member of the band or if I'm just a, a uh, independent contractor, what that means in terms of revenue and, and sort of how the revenue is, is split then. Gotcha. Sure. Uh, all right. Well, uh, to give an example, I don't know if you're a member, you uh, whatever monies, you know, you, your group is making, uh, it's all sort of equally divided, uh, equally proportioned, uh, your profits as well as your losses. But it's sort of equal, uh, and you're equal, and to you know everything that is made, uh, and you you might may have an equal involvement in you know uh, the sort of uh, logistics and the running and the management of, of the group, and uh, you know the things you the, the manners that you might choose to promote. The thing you, you know you're equally involved. It's your thing. It's your band. Your you know your baby. It's your thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like owning a part of a business. It's only, you're owning a part of, the, of a business, which is you. It's part of yourself. Mm-hmm. You're hired to. Uh, it's uh, you're, you're working like per incident, so it's not like you know. Um, I, uh, well, there's when you're also also as a band member, you may or may not receive royalties on your songs as a songwriter or as a participant in the process of making the songs. You might receive royalties on your records. Uh, more often, I think, you know, they're kind of guaranteed because you're a member of the band, it's your thing. But uh, as an independent sort of person, that's not a guarantee. Uh, if you're going to get that, you have, you have to kind of agree to that. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and then, yeah, back to you working uh, per incident, it's, you know, gig to gig, job to job. If it's touring, you're working, you're earning. If you're uh, playing here, you're earning. If they're recording, you're earning. Uh, if, you, if you're rehearsing, hopefully you're earning. Not always. I mean, I play. You know, majority of the groups I play with, nobody's earning anything rehearsing. You know, right, uh, right. Kind of how I grew up. But I mean, I have worked professionally, and that's the. You know, I mean, there's budgets. That's just a matter of course of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of per job, like literally, you're like a plumber. Right. Right. And I think you know, I think no, there's no a, need for the pipes done, you're not gonna get any work. Right. Or, uh, you know, I don't know. If there's too many plumbers in the area <laughs> your your plumbing uh, costs are gonna, you know, go down and your income is gonna earn less. <laughs> you're gonna earn less. Sure. <laughs> I I think that some that some people fair fail to recognize um, you know, the difference between the two that if you know, if you're you can be on tour with with 
you know, Janet Jackson. And then, but after that tour is over, then, you know, unless they keep you on retainer and keep paying you while you're not on the road, then that money is gone. And then you have to, you know, move to the next, move to the next job to keep earning money. That's right. Yeah. And uh, retainer is also another way to continually earn as an independent contractor too. Uh, but, uh, that's definitely not a given. Right. But, but, uh, yeah, it's a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. Is it equally is you know, you know, problematic. There's no guarantee earning on either end. Right. Yeah. That's, that's true. I don't know. It's the same struggle, especially nowadays. Jeez. Right. Right. <laughs> making money, making music. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's definitely. You know, I always I always try to tell people that they got to have multiple irons in the fire. You know, and and sort of diversifying the way that they're they're making revenue because if you're going to stick with you know, one thing and that dries up, then it's sort of like, uh, now what do I do? You know, unless you're, unless you're part of a, you know, a band and you're, you're, uh, earning revenue on ticket sales and then you're earning revenue on merchandise and you're earning revenue on album sales and performances and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, definitely got to diversify if you're, especially if you're an independent contractor. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's called a gig economy. They're calling it now. That's what they, well, that's what they started calling it when everything fell out. But it's like for musicians, it's been like a gig economy since I was 15. Like, <laughs> right. right. As far as just, you know, multiple gigs. Basically. Sure. Sure. Uh, like that's basically it. The first time just, it takes a while to figure that out. I mean, like, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm like, Oh, I could be doing this as well. And mm-hmm. we're doing this. Well, then it requires time to do all of this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, not paying for that time. Anyway, it's a, it's a dance. It's a song and dance. But <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good song and dance. I'm it is. It. it is. It keeps you keeps you uh, keeps you busy. Keeps you motivated. You know. Heck yeah. So I want to touch on on something. Um, I know that you were in a, a pretty bad accident uh, in two thousand two. And, and I, I just, I wanted to ask you about that without, um, you know, getting into too much personal stuff if you don't want to, um, but would like to know just a little bit about that and, and what the recovery process was, because I get a lot, the reason why I'm asking is because I get some, I don't want to say a ton of emails, but I get a lot of emails where people are like, I have this injury or that injury or this injury. And, you know, I have pain and playing, or I was in an accident or, um, you know, I have some sort of chronic injury and they're trying, but they still want to keep playing and you've, you've made the full recovery and, and can now play again. Um, so can we just talk about that a little bit and sort of what the recovery process was and, and any piece of inspiration or, or motivation you can give the people to, to sort of keep pushing? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say that I made a full recovery, uh, by any means, really, it's all sort of about uh, pushing toward the full recovery. And uh, when, like myself, I had brain injuries, so uh, what they tell you with any kind of uh, injuries or trauma, brain injuries, uh, is is or any kind of like paralysis, which is what I experienced, and numbness, which is what I experienced, uh, uh, like a stroke victim. But they tell you anything left after five, six years, you're left with. I'll, I try not to pay heed, you know, too much to that, and I just kind of have to constantly keep working at it. Uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't say that I made a full recovery, and you know, I don't know if that's necessarily possible. Just to be super realistic about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a uh, it's a difficult thing. It's. It's a difficult thing to explain uh, to people who don't have on brain injured. Like the the sensations that I have are like the filter by which I experience life. Like I'm living life with this fucking body. Pardon my French there. Um, <laughs> That's okay. So it's just uh, it's just a filter, and so it really alters your perspective. Uh, what that does for my playing is it definitely makes me more subconscious I think about it, especially when uh, I'm around other drummers and stuff like that because it's invisible and so uh, you know often I'll be around other drummers and they'll come up to me and like oh, I love your work Paul you know man that's, that's you know like, that's great it's great and then you know they're there watching me play and I'm playing through these disabilities and stuff like that so it's sort of like emotionally and mentally 
a challenge just to even enjoy it sometimes for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, living with these disabilities, I mean, uh, I think the way of learning to better enjoy it is uh, just to keep at it and uh, keep doing it more and more so uh, it, it feels natural. Uh, but uh, it doesn't feel very natural. It's like uh, the whole side of my body is sort of like in a, a jar of like, you know, glycerin or something. And uh, when it's cold, it's like super cold. So that affects the paralysis. And it's just like I have to warm it up more and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of beat, really. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of other listeners or, or, or readers, people write in to identify. But, yeah, you just deal with this. And, uh, you know, it's invisible and you have to play through it. I mean, if in of itself, that's <laughs> inspirational just to know someone else understands that. And, right. Uh, can communicate that. I mean, maybe that will help. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I honestly, uh, you know, all, you, all you can do is keep working through it and working on it, which I have to do. I just started a new acupuncture regimen. Uh, you know, I constantly have to do physical therapy just so I can, you know, enjoy walking and don't have to think so much. And uh, you know, my spatial relations are, are, are decent. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on about my experiences and mm-hmm. you know to that. I mean, like, stuff I went through uh, resulting in, like, the numbness and this stuff. When I first started playing again, uh, like, uh, my sort of, like, uh, space relationships were just kind of, like, you know, misjudged constantly. I, I wasn't really getting it, especially with the left side. So it's sort of, sort of numb. So I was, like, constantly, like, slamming my knuckles into symbols and just, like, cutting them and, and gouging them over and over and over, like, per show. And uh, Wow be covered in like this like my left thigh from the knee up to up to the top of my crotch would just be a solid vat of blood sometimes I would just wring it out and like oh it God. would be on the head you know and I'd play and it just like splashed and then and then it took you know it took me I don't know two months or something to get used to that and uh, now I have a better grip on it I actually just kind of knocked my knuckles a couple nights ago but it was only like one and there's only a splattering of blood on my thigh. Uh, you know, so it's just this weird, unique, uh, you know, experiences that, like, you know, are invisible to, to everybody, you know. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. That is crazy. It's, it, you know, it's, I, I guess... Uh, you know, I don't have any of those issues, so I sort of take that kind of stuff for granted. Like you were saying about like depth perception and situational awareness and what's and what's going on. Um, so I guess that's something that I've never even thought about. You know, um, so to be able to to deal with that, I mean, I applaud you for for working through that stuff and and you know still continuing to work through that stuff. And I know that there's some listeners out there that are going through the same sort of stuff. So if you're out there and you're listening, you know, keep keep pushing, I guess, is the, is the only thing that you can really do and keep working uh, on it. And gotta keep at it. I mean, shit, what are you going to do? You right. Gotta keep at it. You know, that's right. That. <laughs> yeah, that's true. When I, when I was going through that, <laughs> I was laying in bed, I was in bed for, uh, uh, 40, uh, 36 days. I was in bed. So, uh, I finally got to a wheelchair, but like I was in bed all the time. I was watching cable. I got hooked on. I to, I was watching all these great rock and roll movies, all these great David Bowie movies. But anyway, there was this one program, and uh, it was about uh, Gloria Estevan and like her accident. She was involved in a bus accident, right? I guess she was like throwing or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she broke her back, and like there was just literally this interview about it. And she's just like, the doctor told me uh, it's going to be up to me. And then I knew that's when, it, that's when I was going to be okay. And it was literally just like that. My doctor was like, well, you know, it's going to be up to you. I mean, like, you can get better, but, you know. And your peer was like, ding, okay, that's all I need, you know, like. <laughs> right. So seven-day-a-week thing, I hired a trainer outside of that. With three days on top of that, came this full-time, you know, this gig that I was just committed to for like a year. And I wasn't going to be sitting around. Uh, Josh Freese was touring with my band. <laughs> I'm, I'm all laid up. I was all like, right. all right, I got to get out of <laughs> I yeah. guess it's a compliment that they got Josh Freeze to do the. the oh, it's great! <laughs> super awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's like Superman. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, we have uh, 
40 songs in two nights in a row. We need, we need a drummer. Ding, ding, ding. Let's call Josh. Da, da, da. Jeez. I'm flying through the air. So were you guys on tour when this happened? Uh, they were making uh, the record Quebec when, they, when this happened. Mm-hmm. So it was like being partially, partially recorded. I got you. Yeah, so I, were I, you were you driving the car or were you just a passenger in the car? Yeah, I was driving a car. There's a lot of really, really crazy, you know, interesting facts about this. I mean, you know, geez, I don't know how much time this is. We got, we, as much, we got as much time as you <laughs> as you want to spend with me, so. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I was driving. Uh, I was kind of put into uh, a state of unconsciousness, so all I know is from uh, the police reports, but I was driving a traffic stop suddenly. Uh, I veered off to the left to avoid hitting the person in front of me because it stopped really quickly. So that maneuver you do, you pull off to the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, trailer was, was on my ass. He did exactly the same thing. So he pulled off to the side, and he followed me, and he just rammed into me, shot me across the median, kind of spun around, and I got those sort of T-bones uh, on the left side, just like crushed. You know, call, the steering column was out the window, the passenger side, and you know, the cut car apart, yada, yada. Uh, but I was, I was driving a, a rental car because my car wouldn't, uh, wouldn't work and I couldn't get into the fifth year so I couldn't take it on the highway I had a sob 9,000 part of the tank but eventually yeah, the trans was gone I couldn't get in the fifth year I had a rental car during this accident uh, so because of the accident uh, it caused a traffic jam in two lanes of the high two lanes uh, two opposing highway directions and three lanes per you know direction Jeez. just as fast pile up my father happened to be in the accident. Eventually, when he kind of passed it, you know, glanced over like he kind of did when he, you know, get to that point when he finally passed the accident. Didn't realize it was me uh, because I, I was in the rental. Ugh. Then, for some really strange reason, they filed me as a John Doe at the hospital. They sort of filed away all my identification, like my wedding ring, like my license, my wallet, my insurance. Uh, they filed it away, and, I, and they sort of kept me in a sort of state for two days, I was missing for 48 hours. I just didn't show up. And uh, my wife uh, at the time was freaking out. She, like all these friends of mine, assembled at, at my house because I just disappeared. My father, who's an ex-police director, had some uh, state guys on it. you know, uh, And they just sat for 48 hours. I was missing. Uh, Nikki Feline likes to tell me, uh, he didn't like to tell me, but he mentioned uh, like at the at the end of the forty eight hours, they just sort of were expecting to find a body, as you do, you know, like when someone just plainly disappears, just find a body. Wait, so where uh, where were you though? I was in a hospital bed at a UMDJ in North New Jersey. It's a university hospital. But were you unconscious? I was in and out of consciousness. Yeah, where I had a, a broke. I had multiple fractures in my pelvis in six places. Concussions, uh, and so what? They they just didn't they didn't know who you were. They filed my information away somehow. They just kind of took it and put it away (laughs) and didn't call anybody. So I just sat in this state and they couldn't operate me really because they needed uh, consent. Uh, But I had this major. I needed this major major surgery. Uh, So eventually, someone at the hospital, I think, just ran a report. They ran it suppressed. As a report in the paper, uh, you know, I said it on New 78, uh, called the listener in critical condition on UMDJ. Uh, my mother ran, uh, she read the report. She happened to be reading the paper, read the report, called everyone, called my wife, called everyone at the house, and everyone hightailed it up to Newark, New Jersey, where they found me in and out of consciousness, unable to move, whatever, in that state. And that's sort of a beginning, sort of, of the whole process. <laughs> so, so after the two days they found your information? After the two days they reported it uh, to the press, the press ran an article, my mother read it, and then she just happened to see it. That's really what happened. And then she called everybody, and then they found me. That is crazy. But, <laughs> yeah, that's really how it happened. I mean, the hospital, they, yeah, they just ran to the press, I think. That's insane. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. That's the cra- that's a crazy story. 
Well, you know, shit happens. Yeah. But I mean, that's just the, the literally, I mean, that's the start of this whole affair. It's like, it just goes on and on. It just gets deeper and deeper and more intense. You, know, you only have so much time on a, on a Nikon. <laughs> right. so much to <laughs> I'm, in, I'm intrigued, though. Well, the device can hold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely intrigued. Well, I, I I speak for myself and the listeners that we're we're glad that you're here and we're glad that that they found you and we're glad that you're uh, that you're drumming again. So that is all all good things. So, but that is a crazy ass story. That that's nuts. It goes on and on. Yeah, I, I'm glad. I mean, too, it wasn't my time. You know what I mean. So mm-hmm. uh, I say this to everybody. Like you know, I don't know. I, I definitely play with. Uh, a, a more more of an intensity. This probably happens to survivors of trauma and stuff, and just in general. But uh, you know, for good and bad, I probably play with more of a level of intensity. That's like you know, if this is the last time I'm, you see me play, if I get rear-ended by another asshole on the way home, you know, you're gonna remember pretty much. Yeah, you know, last right. time so <laughs> right. Kind of like what's kind of going, you know, not really going through my head, but I mean, it's definitely my body, sort of. <laughs> sure. And uh, that sort of happens, and uh, yeah, for good and bad, but mostly good. You know, I love it for drumming. I, I love it for the music, and I've been delving myself into a lot, as to say, a shit ton of music in the area here, Nashville and stuff, and outside the area. That's good. I love really it. Great. Well, let's talk. Let's let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's get to get to the music. So, I know that um, you've been releasing some stuff on your own, and you've had you know success with Indiegogo campaigns. And so, let's talk about you know a little bit about the stuff that you've done on your own, and then and what's on the horizon for the future for you. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, uh, let's see. I have my own group. Uh, still, still playing in Toros number of different people. One guy I've been touring a lot with and really enjoying my time with is Mike Dillon. He's from New Orleans. the world's only punk rock jazz vibraphonist. Uh, it's an amazing gig. He's a drummer. He, so it's like, you know, it's two. It's a two-drummer-led band. What's it called, the Mike Dillon band? That's right, yeah. Yeah, I know that. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not extremely familiar with this work, but I definitely know the name. Yeah, you should hit yourself to it. You know, he's definitely just a you know, brilliant, brilliant, mighty musician, player, uh, super creative, and just relentless energy. Right now, he's touring after a tour he did before that, and going to a tour <laughs> after this tour he's doing now. Basically, how he lives and works, it's great. Hmm. Uh, I've been working a lot with him. Uh, I've been trying to uh, focus and uh, say a bit. Uh, on my own project, a group called uh, Mamla, and that's uh, the group that I raised uh, some money for to make a record, which I did, but uh, now I'm just sort of struggling, sort of finishing it and getting over the hump and getting over the finish line. But it, uh, but in that guitar, uh, not band, I play guitar. A lot. Oh, okay. I sing and play guitar a lot, which is awesome. I love it. Uh, and on record, I do all the instruments. Uh, sort of track instrument by us right after I write the tune and record it mostly uh, and then put it out but uh, the circuit that I just finished took me about over a year so as it does but it's done and part of my purpose of me being here in Asheville uh, the purpose of me being here is uh, to put a band together of uh, some of these great players from around here which I've done and that's just uh, going now. Records finally finished. Starting to book some shows for like June and July. It's such a good feeling, isn't it? We're like finally, finally getting this. Well, stuff it's like, yeah, it's like it's exciting. It's definitely exciting. It's also sort of like you know you you get over that hump like and you're bleeding from the eyes and like your knee is broken and uh, you know <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, your teeth are out, and it's like, okay, like, and they put you on stage. <laughs> you, have to, <laughs> you have to play uh, a five-hour show or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, sort of like, you know, the work is kind of like now, but uh begins now. But, yeah, it is it is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, got that going, and uh, the, the lean thing is sort of repurposed itself. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh is doing stuff. You know, it's I don't know. It's, it's all a little confusing, probably to some. 
Uh, Dean Lean is gone playing gigs. <laughs> uh, Gene Lean is gone and playing gigs. <laughs> oh, everyone's playing lean music outside of one another, uh, you know. So I uh, guess the two of them just had a falling out and just called it quits. Well, no, it's, I, I don't know. I think maybe it's part of a uh, long, super arduous, <laughs> gradual process of, you know, uh, uh, reconnecting. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I, I, I honestly can't really even speak on it, you know. Right. I see, I see what everyone else sees, so. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they want to play again. I think, uh, I think those guys will be back together one way or the other. Cool. Just a matter always, of time. I've always liked, I've them. always liked Ween, so I've, I've been a fan, so it'd be interesting to see if they came back out. Yeah, I think they will. Cool. I think they will. Yeah. That's what? my opinion. What's that? I was just saying that's my opinion. Oh. Well, I mean, you would know probably more than, than the rest of us, so. Yeah, I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> Could be wrong, but I don't know. <laughs> sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's the way it goes. It's, like, it's part of the independent contractor thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And then that way you don't have to take the work home with you either. So you kind of like out of, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to stress about it. Hey, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know nothing, but yeah, you also stress not as much right. of something. <laughs> ignorance, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. It happens to people on every level. I think like just, I don't know, like, just, <laughs> I don't know your place in in a band like you know I don't know uh, the Slipknot thing that happened to that drummer familiar with that oh Joey Jordison yeah no what happened with him Jordison uh, I don't know uh, his band released a statement that you know the drummer had quit and that they wished him you know best of luck on his endeavors uh, and then like like the next day he kind of put out a statement saying he was news to him you know <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah I remember that he was like he was like wait I didn't quit he was like I don't know yeah I don't know right. what we're talking about yeah see that that's I mean either he's an independent contractor or an independent band member or something in between the t- <laughs> that, <laughs> you know I don't know a four hire and a band member because yeah that's just a clouded uh, relationship obviously but you know, that's very uh, independent contractor worthy, you know, behavior. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, I'm on Wikipedia now. It says on December 12th, 2013, Slipknot announced through their official website that Jordison had left the band, citing personal reasons for his departure. In response, Jordison, Jordison released a statement insisting that he, in fact, had been fired from the band and stated Slipknot has been my family for 18 years and I would never abandon it for, or, or my fans. Yeah. Man, that's rough. Yeah, see, I mean, yeah, you find that stuff out in the press, like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you were fired in the press, or, <laughs> I mean, it happened over and over to the highest of the biggest of the biggest. Well, it happened to, uh, it happened to Danny Serafin when they fired him from Chicago. Uh, yeah, I actually, uh, I, I, I met him, I spent a day with him and Bobbio in California, it was awesome, hanging out with those guys, but uh, I don't know that story. Yeah, they so it's it's in his book um, Street Drummer, which is a, a great book, and I actually interviewed him for the podcast as well. And yeah, they just basically brought him into a room one day and fired him. They were like, "That's it, you're done." And he went and fought, and you know all that stuff. But it just they got and he was he was a founding member of the band, and it was like his life, you know. And they just. I you know things happen and one thing happens to one thing happens and then the next thing happens and you're dealing with a lot of money on the table and differences right. of opinions and and all that stuff so they got rid of him and he was I mean he was distraught over it he didn't he didn't know what to do you know it was his band yeah I mean since this conversation seems to be so about the subject of money and finance or whatever uh, I mean yeah. It's uh, this friend of mine has a saying. It's called show business, not show friends. Right. You know, you, and you grow up and you play with a group of friends and you know, comrades and music school, you know, mates and whatever. And then uh, yeah, and then you're playing in front of twenty five thousand people, making like three hundred bucks or something. 
right. you know, <laughs> riding on a bus for like, you know, 10, 15 years or whatever. Uh, you know, not not me personally, I'm just saying it's out there. I know how they, I know how it is, you know, and, and it has been like that. But, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, then it becomes business. But, uh, you know, it shouldn't ever be personal, you know, and I think that's why it's as bad and as messed up as it is and, and, and uh, people sort of act like that. I don't know. Uh, it's a, it's they're afraid to just make a business, and I don't know. I don't know exactly, but uh, you know, it shouldn't uh, ever be personal. You know, I mean, like you know, if you know, if they wanted to fire him, you know, let's have a meeting, talk, just tell sure. me you don't want me. Okay, sucks. Uh, I'm hurt, you know, but I mean, you don't want me anymore. What am I gonna do? I don't want to play with you. <laughs> you don't want me, uh, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Find out about it in the press. <laughs> right, why do I got to read it in the <laughs> newspaper? Why can't you call me? Come on, you know, here we need to be. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough, you know, business. It is, but and but you know, it's you mentioned that you know we're talking a lot about the the money side of things and the business side, and and it remind Russ Miller always says sort of the same thing as your friend. You know, they don't call it the they call it the music business, not the music hangout with your friends. So, yeah, you know, I don't so, so friends, <laughs> yeah. And but but it's important. It's important to you know to realize the differences of the two. And if you want to play, I th- let me rephrase that. It's important to know all of this stuff and to look out for that sort of stuff. If you really want to do this as a career and being professional at it, if you want to play on Friday and Saturday nights on the weekend, God bless you. And that, if that's if that's what you're doing, that's I think that's awesome. Um, and then you don't really have to get into the sticky side of the business, but there's a lot of listeners out there that do this professionally, want to do this professionally. And I think that it's, it's important that we're, we're talking about it. Um, because it's, you know, a lot of people get burned by it. So I'm glad that, that we talked about this. I'm, I'm completely happy to talk about it. It's totally critical. You know, no one will talk about it ever. It makes no sense. It's like, you know, yeah, it's totally important because, yeah, a lot of people aren't getting it or have no clue. And this is the least job, you know, uh, you know, secure <laughs> you know, job in the world. Right. It's, uh, it's fraught with hazards, and you have to plan in a way that no one else does, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, expect, have expectations, you know, of, of certain, you know, things and aspects of it that, yeah, are exactly. very specific. It, and yeah, no doubt. I love talking about it. Actually, I'm, your, I'm, your <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way, man. It's like, hey, this is this is what it is. And you know, a lot of people covet it, and uh, you know, they don't want to talk about how much touring musicians get paid and all that stuff. And you know, because I, may, I don't know, maybe if it's a, they just want to keep an air about them or or something. But most of the people that I've had on the podcast, um, or I should say, you know, pretty much all the people that I've had on the podcast are pretty open to to this thing because this is. The, this is to educate people. This is so, you know, that help people navigate through this business. So that's what we're all about here at Drummer's Resource. So, again, I, mm-hmm. I thank you for, for talking about it and being so open about it. No worries. So now do you – I know that you're in Asheville. Do you teach uh, in Asheville? Do you, do you teach take or do you teach private lessons? Yeah. Uh, I teach uh, out of a studio downtown and then – I have a couple of students that I make house visits. <laughs> oh, cool! So, yeah, yeah, I like it. It's it's so beautiful here. They live like just outside of Asheville, and like it's just these, you know, just these spectacular, just you know, vistas, the rolling, just mountains, like you know, Brazil, which is just like gorgeous, where some of these people live, and they're nice folks, and you know, talented musicians on their own right. So mm. cool. Man, it's Ash, Ash, I mentioned earlier, my sister lives in Asheville. It's beautiful there. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, like, they don't have a problem with uh, being community and everyone sort of helping each other out. Like, everyone, it's it's a small, big city. You know, it's not really that big. You know, it's like less than 90,000 sort of in the main part of it. Right. The surrounding areas now. But, um, yeah, it's sort of a small, big city. And, and, and everyone sort of knows each other. At least for the intern until it turns into New Austin, which I don't <laughs> think will happen, hopefully. I don't know if you're familiar with Austin, but I am. Uh, Asheville reminds you of Austin, you know, like 20 years ago. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that, but yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people about it. There's a lot of similarities just in terms of, yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of nice, niceness about it. But now Austin is like 20000 a month, 
moving their number one growth city in America or something. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's bad. Good Lord. So but, if, but, yeah, yeah, good, sorry. No, I was just I was going to mention that um, if so, if people want to learn more about you or want to contact you about about lessons or anything, how do you suggest that they do that? Uh, I guess Facebook is the easiest, but uh, yeah, I mean that's the easiest, I suppose. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm there. I have a presence. You can also just Google me or something. <laughs> My email is available on a number of different uh, online uh, networks and, uh, you know, sources. Uh, email is always the best, I guess. And cool. just, I'm not going to give some of these freaks out there my phone number over the air or something like that for lessons, you know. What's that? How it works. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe you. <laughs> some of these crazy wean fan freaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the best method, right? Cool, man. Well, listen, I I appreciate you doing this, man. It's it's been a great conversation, and and like I said, I'm glad that we we touched on a lot of the business stuff. And again, I'm so glad that that everything is starting to uh, to get better for you. And hopefully, you know, the I know you still have the a long road ahead of you, but I'm glad to see that that you're doing well and you're playing. And and uh, and it's just been great to have you on here. So thank you, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah. Right on. You're very welcome. Very good to be here. Again, yeah, super honored to uh, be a part of it and uh, part of the others that you've talked to. Yeah. Be cool. Hope to hang out and uh, I'll try to pop in my sister's place to talk to with you. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, Check it out. Bring us some coffee. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, man. Claude, thank you again so much. I hope, uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and I'll be talking to you soon. Likewise. Be well. All right, man. You too. See you. So there you have it, Mr. Claude Coleman. And be sure to check him out on Facebook. And if you go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 104104, I'll have all of his contact information on there. Be sure to check out the Drummers Resource on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource and on Twitter at drummers R source. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.